Shabu. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to hear from uh, Tony, particularly on a morning where we're going to be speaking about uh, serving, uh, which is most, most important. Uh, also, welcome to a couple, I know a couple of faces I haven't seen for a while. Some have been, I think, out on four-wheel drives, trekking around the place, and, and a couple of others that I saw at the back there. And also, I think we have a whole suburb with us today, if I'm correct. Is Knox here? Where's Knox? Here he is. Stand up, stand up, Knox, so we can welcome you. Knox, Knox has joined us this morning too. So, so if you wanted to know what the suburb of Knox looks like, there it is right over there. Fantastic. What a great name. Welcome to you. Uh, hope you enjoy your time with us. Let me just get myself all organised here and we'll be underway. Been enjoying going through this, it's been great. The, um, the little daily devotions uh, in regards to uh, being a serving church in a, a selfish world I think have been fantastic and I've used bits and pieces of them uh, in what we're doing uh, this morning. If you want to get yourself prepared for a little bit later, just whack yourself over to Philippians 2 we're going to be having a look at. Um, so just get prepared uh, for that. Just before we start, I've... I went onto YouTube and I had a look and I thought, I wonder if there's anybody who sort of speaks you know, on the subject of selfishness to get to that first part of it. Because when they talk about serving, I thought it's interesting to look at selfishness first. And I thought, maybe there's some great speakers who speak about selfishness and its effects and, and whatever. And so I had a look and I came across a little video which is only, uh, we've taken about 25 seconds out. It goes for about an hour. And I thought at first when I was looking at it that it was actually a joke. Because I could hear sort of people laughing and then... I'm hearing what the person's saying and I'm sort of laughing along and then I realise, hang on a second, this is fair income. Have a listen to this. Sometimes people say, Abraham, it seems like you teach selfishness. And we say we really, 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 really do. Because selfishness, let's define it. Selfishness means vibrational alignment with self. And in order to understand that, you've got to know who self really is. Self is source. Self is pure positive energy. Self is worthy. Self is clear-minded. Self is healthy. <laughs> Mark, Mark put that bit on the end for me. and I, very, That's sort of scary to even hear that. that. It's actually preaching selfishness. And not even in the world you don't often even hear that. People, even if they are selfish, they tend to sort of keep a little bit quiet about it, but there it is actually being preached. It doesn't take a genius to realise that we live in a world that's abundant in both selfishness and greed. And these two friends, they sort of link arms and they walk arm in arm down the aisle together in a marriage that is bound to last because they complement each other so well. And uh, their relationship is very, very hard to separate uh, or to shake. And they work in concert to achieve their purposes. Uh, one will do something and the other one agrees with it. Selfishness and greed, just a, a perfect marriage. And if you look in any direction, it doesn't matter where you're looking, you'll either see or you'll hear selfishness in the world. You only have to go to our leaders or even uh, in some countries you have leaders who are living in opulent castles and houses and yet their people are starving in the streets. You only have to listen to the TV or, or the things we have. We have an iPhone, we have an iPad, it's my store, my, and it's because you're worth it. Everything is about a self. It's designed that way. And a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you heard this one, there was a, a study that they had just completed and it was on psychopathic business leaders. Did any of you see that? It fascinated me that they just completed this study on psychopathic CEOs and executives and the, the deal is that it's actually rising, which shouldn't be any surprise to us really, particularly when you see some of the huge bonuses that they pay themselves, even in companies where they're not making money. 
And during this week also I saw, which I thought was a great idea, it was uh, please offer me a seat badges. Did you see that? They're trying to promote that on public transport for people who have got hidden disabilities. And I thought, yeah, it's a great idea and I'm listening to it on the radio. And the next thing, people start ringing up and it starts turning around the other way. People say, oh yeah, but you know it's going to happen. People are going to, they're just going to get those badges and they're just going to use them and they're just so that they can get a seat. And, and I'm thinking, no, they're not. Yeah, they probably will, actually because that's just who we are. You already see you know, old people getting on a train, they struggle to get on, they hold on to the bar and try and get about 10 stations while everybody's sort of on their phones and nobody has any care. There's a lot of selfishness happening even then. And then the worst thing of all when it comes to selfishness, this is, to my mind, the worst thing. Me and us. We're not completely innocent, are we? Or we're separate, not even separate from selfish behaviour. And even though we are Christians and we've been made new creatures in Christ, we're still susceptible to sin. It's interesting. I don't know why science do this or scientists try to do this, but they did this experiment where they took some tissue out of a chicken's brain and they stuck it in a quail. And the quail actually makes sounds like a chicken. Now, don't ask me why they do this stuff, but that quail now always makes a sound like a chicken. And it's sort of like us, not quite, but it's sort of like us in that when we become new creatures in Christ and we belong to Jesus, God puts his Holy Spirit in us and so it's there and it changes us. The only difference is sometimes we don't sound like we should, whereas this quail is going to always sound like a chicken. Sometimes we don't sound like a Christian because of remaining sin that is here and we're still susceptible to that. It hovers around us. We can be forgiven from us, but it is uh, always there. Selfishness is destructive, it cuts to the hearts of people, it isolates and it's born out of this need for power and the lack of consideration for anybody except self and in essence it exposes our hearts. Even children have been provided with plenty of inspiration for selfishness, they've been taught well by a variety of adults in our society, not to mention the hundreds of people that go into kids' houses every year in the form of a rectangle screen in the corner of our lounge room. And all these people that come in are shaping the thoughts and behaviours, not only of us, but of the future generation that's coming too. And you even get live and up-to-date lessons in selfishness just by uh, watching TV and on the internet. And even us parents, even some of us Christian parents, are sometimes guilty in training our children in these ways. We don't even know we're doing it sometimes, do we? But the fact is, unfortunately, sometimes we even lead by example when it comes to that. And ever since Genesis 3, when sin first entered the world, people have been regularly discovering and creating new ways to be selfish to the point where some people have got it down as an absolute art form. Some people can even be selfish and make people think that they're not being selfish. That's how clever uh, people can get. And while I've been working through and having a look at this whole idea of being a servant in a selfish world, I particularly at one moment had a real moment where... um, I really struggled. I became quite overwhelmed uh, by my own selfish heart and by some things that came back to me that I remembered that I'd done, things that I had said and I, was, I actually couldn't do anything for about 10 minutes. I was really quite overwhelmed uh, by that and I'm part of the leadership uh, in this church and so if I can't get it right all the time, how can I have any right to expect uh, that anybody else would as well? The reality is if it was not for God's saving grace and his forgiveness of sin when we confess it, we would be a mess and we would have no hope whatsoever of being a serving individual 
rather uh, just let alone being a serving church in this selfish world. So praise God for his forgiveness and praise God for his instructions that can be found in his word. That is the good news. Can I get you all to stand up for a second? Stand up. About um, Probably about a year or so ago, uh, Fran James used to come here. She actually wrote a verse up on the wall and it's so, so appropriate for us today. I'm actually going to say it and can you repeat it after me? We'll do it in bits and bits and pieces. The Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that this is a good thing that we should agree and this is what we should be doing together? That's great. In that case, uh, we agree. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to do our last song now. Just kidding. Stay stay standing. It's true, isn't it? The Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray as we get started. Our Lord and our God, we would ask this morning that through the work of your Spirit that you'll help us to open our hearts honestly before you with the mindset of uh, desiring to be productive, obedient, joyful and unselfish followers of Jesus. Would you use your word to teach us, rebuke us and correct us where it's needed and to train us up in the righteousness that you've given us for your glory and for your name's sake. Amen. Take a seat. In 1871, there's a well-known author by the name of Lewis Carroll. Hands up if you've heard that name before. Okay. Hands up if you've heard his famous book, Alice Through the Looking Glass. All the old people said, Amen. That's the idea. And even some of the young people might have even heard that before. It's an interesting book because Alice steps through the mirror in her living room and she finds on the opposite side of it a completely different world. Everything's backwards. So she tries to go forward, but she finds herself back where she was in the first place. She tries to go right and she finishes up left. She tries to go up and she's down. She tries to go slow and she's going fast. And similarly, Christianity and belonging to Christ is kind of like that looking glass world because if we were in the world and we walk through the looking glass and we came into a time where we are Christians and we are belonging to Jesus and we are doing the things that a Christian would do and behaving that way, it's completely opposite because the world is completely opposite to how Christians live their lives. For example, to be blessed is to bless others. To receive love, give love. To be honoured, first be humbled. To truly live, die to yourself. To receive, first give. To save your life, lose it. To be first, be last. And to lead, be a servant. It's backwards. The world doesn't get it. So, with the other side of the looking glass in mind, let's grab our Bibles and head to Philippians chapter 2. We'll go for a bit of a wander and see what we can find that's both helpful and encouraging to us as we discover or we're reminded as to what it is that God asks of us to become a serving church in this selfish world. Let's get a few stents out and unclog our hearts and see what God says to us. Uh, this morning. Okay, so Philippians chapter 2, a bit of a quick background. Paul's writing this letter to the church in Philippi around 61 to 62 AD and he's under house arrest waiting for his trial. Remember back in Acts we had uh, Felix and Festus and King Agrippa and he became, uh, he came up against all those guys and the Jews had accused him of all sorts of things and in the end he says, I appeal to, uh, to um, who was it again? To Caesar. Thank you. Thank you for filling in the gaps there. I appeal to Caesar and so they said to Caesar you will go and so he finds himself in Rome, even though Agrippa actually said, you know, 
if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, he would have been set free. But it was God's will that he would actually end up in Rome. And so that's where he is. He's in house arrest and he doesn't know his fate. He still thinks at this stage that he might even get back to Philippi and see these people. And Timothy is there caring for his needs with Epaphroditus as well. So Paul, he actually wrote it to show his appreciation for the Philippians who had been looking after him. They had been supporting him and encouraging him as well. And of course, not only the letter says those things, it's a thank you letter in many regards, but he also writes it to to encourage them on, to spur them on, which he always took advantage of doing any time he put pen to paper. In the first part of this letter... He's been talking about his sufferings uh, but how through his imprisonment the gospel is being preached. That was always at the top of his mind, wasn't it? Even when he was standing in those chains in that court, it was like he was still preaching the gospel even though he was the one who was on uh, on trial. He talks about how Christians are to surrender their lives in service to Christ and that they can expect suffering during this time. In fact, in verse 29 of chapter 1, he says to the Philippians, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Now, when somebody grants you something, it means you've been granted this, you've been granted that. It's a good thing, isn't it? And so he says, you have been granted not only to believe in Christ, that sounds good, but also to suffer for him. I've granted you that. That's right through the looking glass stuff compared to the world, isn't it? To suffer, because we don't like to suffer. And yet, Paul saw this as a reminder that suffering is part of being a Christian. And he actually reminds us about the fact that it's not easy to follow Jesus but it is a privilege. It's not easy to follow Jesus but it's a privilege. Remember when I I was, particularly when I was younger and I used to go to a lot of rallies and things and and the speakers would speak and sometimes it was good and sometimes it was more God loves you, it's all about love, Jesus loves you, come to Jesus, he loves you, he's going to give you things and whatever. And then they sing just as I am, that famous hymn, just as I am, and they sing it, we'll sing it ten times while you come down from the balconies and people flooding down because Jesus is going to do something for them and, and he loves them and all that sort of stuff. But there's no talk of suffering and there's no talk of uh, repentance or, or sin and, and asking repentance of sin. And so they, they come down to just as I am and they leave the building just as they were when they first uh, came in. And because we can see here that Paul sees that it's not just the case of following Jesus, which is a privilege, but it's also the fact that they're serving. In the last three verses of chapter 1, Paul tells the Philippians how to stand strong for the Lord against conflicts or the potential of internal conflicts. And so we come to chapter 2. Let's have a look at the first uh, four verses. And I notice that there are four ifs and a then. So see if you can pick them up. Paul, you can almost, when he's writing, you can almost see how he would have been saying this, can't you? When he says it, he'd be really exhorting him. It goes like this, follow along with me. Chapter 2, the first four verses. If you have any complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Good words, eh? Can I exhort you? Put your Bible down for a second. I'm not Paul. Let me read it to you. Canterbury Gardens. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than ourselves. Each of us should not only look to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. They're good words, aren't they? His uh, letter, you can just see this exhortation to the Filipinos. 
not, not to the Filipinos, <laughs> to the Philippines, no, the Filipinos, yeah, the other letter to the Filipinos, right, where they sort of probably, the letter was in a manila folder or something like that. <laughs> so, sorry. Um, the Philippians, not Filipinos. Okay, let's get that straight. So what he's saying to them uh, with the four ifs is that if these Christians in Philippi have received the things that he mentioned, comfort from his love, fellowship with the Spirit or tenderness and compassion, then they actually have a responsibility to do what he's about to describe and that is to be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, in humility consider others better than yourself and to look to the interests of others as well as your own. Interesting, he doesn't say... He doesn't say don't look at your own interests because you need to look at that too but look at others as well as your own. Can you imagine how amazing a church would be that followed those instructions? Like if we really followed those instructions, if we really were that close to Christ, that we followed those instructions like that, can you imagine what the fellowship would be like? Can you imagine what the worship would be like? Can you imagine the care that would be happening for those who needed care and love and needed people getting around them? It would be amazing. But most of all, can you imagine the glory that God would be given through our actions? Sin sort of gets in the way of that. But this is what the goal is. This is what we need to be striving towards. But how are we going to be motivated to do that? What is going to drive us and cause us to behave like that? What sort of person can actually do these things? things and Paul says hang on a second the letter's not finished read on you should see the next few verses they're really really good so let's do that together as well Paul then says the letter's not I've already read that haven't I Uh, the next six verses of chapter two Paul gives the most profound and wonderful summary and description of who Jesus actually is what he is willing to do for us and has done for us and then God the Father's response to what Jesus has done. Let's read, have a look at this, look very, very closely. Some of you say, I know these verses well. Listen very, very carefully. These are amazing, amazing verses. Let's enjoy them together. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider Equality. Now, first of all, who being in the very nature or form, it says as well. So being in the very nature or form, God did not consider equality. So it tells us that Jesus quite definitely is equal with God right here too. But he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, something to be hung on to, something to cling on to, something that I'm going to keep these rights. He did not do that, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. In some uh, versions it will say emptying himself. Let's have a look at that whole idea of emptying himself. It doesn't mean that he emptied himself of his deity. He was still God. He never said that he wasn't God. He knew who he was. But what it means is, and the words that are originally used tell us, that it means that he emptied himself of all his privileges and rights and prerogatives that he had being God. And in this mystery, which is difficult to understand, he was both fully man and fully God. And what about the idea of a servant? What does it say here? It says, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Paul tells us that Jesus took the nature or the form of a servant being made in the likeness of men. Paul could have said, he could have said that Jesus took the form of a human being and that would be lowly enough for God. 
And there's even a a Greek word that you can use for humanity that Paul chose not to use as well. Or he could have even used a a specific word for male in compared to female. But he chooses instead to use the word doulos. And that word doulos, which is specifically chosen by Paul, means slave or bondservant. Slave or bondservant. I actually looked up what the definition of a bondservant is. You want to hear it? It says, it's someone who belongs to another without any ownership rights of their own. Isn't that Jesus giving up all of his rights of ownership to come? In other words, Jesus became a particular kind of man, a slave, the lowest position a person could possibly be in the Roman world. And when you think about it, that was his life. He was born in a lowly stable in a, in a cave with a bunch of animals looking on. He, so he had to borrow a place to be born. He had to borrow a boat to preach on, if we remember that. He had to borrow quite often a place to, to sleep. He had to borrow a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. He had to borrow an upper room so that they could have the Last Supper. And then when he died, he was buried in a borrowed grave. So this is how he made himself a lowly servant, a bond servant. It's amazing, and I'm staggered again, that God who created the universe becomes a slave on purpose for the plan that he had. This is the creator of the world. This is God's own son. He's rejected, he's insulted, he's humiliated by the people that he made. And I'm staggered. The more you think about it, uh, the more staggering it becomes. But you want to know some great news that comes out of this? And I got this from a guy, I reckon this is fantastic. It means that no matter what you go through, this is great news folks, no matter what you go through, no matter how low you may get, you can never sink so far that Jesus cannot get under you and lift you up. He can identify with you in any situation, no matter how hard, poverty, loneliness, uh, homelessness, rejection, you name it, he has already been there. And that's good news for us. Let's have a look at verse 8 together. Verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Can I ask you a quick question? Who was it that actually humbled Jesus? Tell me, read it. Who actually humbled Jesus? Himself. Himself. Nobody humbled Jesus. He humbled himself. This is a sign of a servant. And the verse continues, and became obedient. Who was he obedient to, everybody? Give it to me. His father, he was obedient to his father and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that's how it should be said. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross, probably the most cruel, painful and shameful form of execution that you could ever think of. And here's the good news to it, and this is amazing. God the Father did not force death upon the Son. He didn't force death upon Jesus. It was the Father's will, but it was the Son's will always to perfectly obey God the Father. Jesus had a free choice because if he didn't have a free choice then it wouldn't have been obedience, would it? But he had a free choice to do these things. And he talks about his life in John 10, 18 when he says, no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Who is in control here? It's Jesus that is in control. And now at verse 9 we arrive at the victory march. We have just seen what Jesus has done in humbling himself, in making himself nothing, emptying himself, taking the very nature, the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. And now we get to chapter 9 and we have a big grin on our face. And God the Father certainly has a big grin on his face too as he deals with Jesus here. Let's see what it says. Therefore... 
because Jesus has done all these things, because he's been so obedient. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, the Lord, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Everybody's going to bow to Jesus one day. Christian, non-Christian. Here, everybody will bow to Jesus and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is great news. Hang on, I missed a bit. This is a bit that we should never ever miss out. Look at the last bit of that verse. What does it say? To the glory of God the Father. It all works in concert together, doesn't it? It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Now we've looked at it. Let me read it to you and drink this in. I'm just going to read the whole lot to you because I didn't get a chance to do that. Listen again. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but rather made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. From a cradle to the cross to a crown. What a progression that is. What a progression that is. Let's pick it up at uh, verse 12. I'm not going to read through the whole lot here, but some verses I think are important. (laughs) Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Isn't that important? It's important, isn't it? Paul's saying, you obey even when I'm not there. Isn't that the same for God too? Even when, you know, nobody's looking, even when nobody's, sorry, when people aren't looking, we still should be doing these things. We still should be obeying even if, um, you know, people aren't looking. So he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And what that is, so he's exhorting them. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. (laughs) Great words. Let's get practical. I want to get practical with you now. We've heard uh, verses 1 to 5 and I'm going to bang on about them because they are wonderful, wonderful verses and we need to keep them in the forefront of our mind, particularly when we're considering uh, what it means to be a servant. But when Paul gave instructions, every time he gave instructions, the the main purpose was never for an intellectual exercise, but it was always that there was some practical thing that went along with it. To him, theology and action were bound together so that theology that he taught was meant to be the way of life for the follower of um, the Christian. And so it is uh, for us. So I want to have a look at uh, two other guys a little bit further down the passage uh, that were both servants of Paul and God when the rubble was really hitting the road. And then let's talk about what that kind of serving can look like for us as a church. So at verse 19, here we find Paul uh, after giving instructions as to how the body of Christ is to function and how Christians are to treat each other in church life and after presenting Jesus as the perfect example of someone who gave up all his rights to serve, we're about to hear about these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, 
who both display that exact humility and selfless service that Paul had been writing about. So let's have a look at that. Pick it up at uh, chapter 3 and verse 19. And it reads, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier. Interesting, he calls him a brother, a worker and a soldier. Who is also your messenger, who you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Here are two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And at first, when you look at what they're doing, well, it's like, okay, so he took a message, he brought some, some nice things from the uh, Philippians uh, to, to give to Paul. That was good. They're sort of probably running around doing a few errands here and there. And you say, well, is that really serving? It's just sort of really, you know, doing what you're told. The reality is, if Timothy hadn't been there, Paul would not have been looked after as he was. And Paul is the one who is really increasing the gospel, as I'm sure Timothy was as well. With Epaphroditus, well, he was sick almost to the point of death. And who was he concerned about? He was actually concerned about the people back in Philippi because they were so distressed about how he was. Everything about that passage says that we are concerned for the other person, that we are serving with God's heart and serving Paul because the gospel is being increased, but we're not thinking about ourselves. It actually reeks of that. Okay, so considering Jesus' example of humility and servanthood in verses 5 to 11, and if we have a desire in us to humble ourselves before him and do and to serve the body of Christ, our families, the community and the world, what can we do? I'm going to get practical here now. Okay, so here's the reasons why and here's what Christ has done for us. And there's a couple of examples in Timothy and Epaphroditus, but what can we do? The first thing I want to say is that we are already doing a lot of things. And I am so grateful uh, for the servants in this church. Uh, when you think about it, I've listed many but haven't got them all, so no apologies, just I, I might miss a few here. We've got people working kids' church, women's and men's ministries, small groups, coffee mornings, uh, the team watching out for the needs of our missionaries, our committee of management, our office staff, our elders, people working in the dining room, uh, the kitchen teams, uh, teaching teams, the setter-upperers, uh, the musicians and worship team, the pastoral care team, the playgroup team, the working bee, the property maintenance teams, uh, Friday night art and craft uh, teams and, and for those who just go around quietly caring for people and serving in a really, really quiet way that sometimes nobody even knows about. Classic example of that sort of serving and I'm not going to embarrass anybody, we had a person who was in hospital, very, very unwell, very unwell. And another person, a lady in our congregation here, when a couple of weeks ago a song was about to be sung, she thought, oh, that's their favourite song. So in the middle of a church service, she got on her phone and she actually rang this person up in the hospital and stuck it on loudspeaker and said, oh, your 
favourite songs on it. So she had the phone going and the person in the hospital, when I went to visit this person, told me it was so good. I felt like I was here and I actually sung along with that song. That is practical service, right there. It can be formal, but it can also be practical in that mind. In fact, we're just looking out for people the whole time. Uh, my wife and I went a long, long time ago. We went to a church for a, the first time. We had a couple of little kids. And um, at the end of the church service, this guy came to me and he said, so, toothache, eh? And I said, yeah, how did you know that? He said, I've been watching it for the last half an hour. I said, okay. He said, what are you doing this afternoon? I said, nothing. He said, I'm a dentist. Why don't you come down to my surgery in Hurstbridge and we'll have a look at it. I never met him before. Didn't have to go to me. He's a dentist, you know, like you don't want to do your work outside your work. But this brother saw a need of another brother and we went round to the surgery, about two and a half, three hours doing a complete root canal filling and then he charged me next to nothing for it and then we'd been talking about a mission in Cambodia and he donated all that money to the mission in Cambodia. That service, that is selfless. He could have easily gone, oh, the guy's got a toothache, I need to get away from him. Instead, he goes to the person with a need and actually does something about it. That's service. That is service. I love that. Jesus knelt down and washed his disciples' feet and maybe after the service today. (laughs) (laughs) Believe me, speak to my wife, I wouldn't do it to you. (laughs) I want to stop for a moment now too, just to speak to some other people that are here today too. This is most, most important. Most important. Particular group. Some of you at this point probably after hearing those, those groups of people that are serving and some of the stories that I'm telling, you might be feeling guilty or even useless or even quite defeated because it may be that your spiritual life at the moment is a long way away from Jesus. And I've been there a number of times myself. There'll be nobody in this congregation who has not been in that place before. And if that's where you are this morning, I really want to encourage you to be aware of something. Shabu actually said it to me. I went, that's right, that's right. I want to encourage you to be aware of God's ongoing grace in your life. Even when you are struggling in sin, his ongoing grace is still happening in your life. And I know that this will be for a number of people here today and so I really want to encourage you with that because he's not a father that condemns uh, his children. He, He understands and he loves much more than we can ever begin to imagine. Much more. He waits for us to repent of the past and then to accept with joy the forgiveness that he freely gives so that we can serve him once more. So if you're here and you're thinking you can't serve, you're wrong. You can and it's a lie that's coming to you. And where do lies come from? Who's the father of lies? Satan is the father of lies. And he just wants to keep people like that exactly where they are so they can be of no use whatsoever to the body of Christ. And so I'm telling you that there is victory in Christ, that there is forgiveness in Christ, and you may come to him and repent of your sin and be restored immediately to him and go and immediately serve. So that's the good news. And if you are somebody who's really struggling and you need to be chatting through or praying through, find somebody that you trust, that you know belongs to Christ or one of the pastors. We are happy to do that with people. We want to do that with people. We want to see people restored to a right relationship with Jesus. Okay, so I'm about to give you some practical things that you can all consider when it comes to serving. So, Why don't we, just for a moment, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray and ask God if there's something in here that we're about to say that he jogs you in 
Why don't you follow that and just see where it takes you in regards to your own service? Because as I said, some at the moment are serving formally, some are probably sitting there saying, I actually don't do anything here. It's not about, well, I better do something. It's about our response to Christ in those verses 1 to 5 that are most important for our reasons for doing that. But let's just be silent prayer just for a moment to ask God honestly to show you where it is that he would have you serve. Let's do that quietly before I just um, go on. Okay, so here's a few practical things. It's a bit of a list, doesn't matter. But God might jog your memory or, or, or jog something in you. Example, if a person comes into your mind during the week, could it be God? Sure, it could be. Why don't you stop and pray for that person right there? Why don't you then give them a ring and say, hey, how are you doing? I don't know how many times that uh, I have thought that the person's come to my mind I've rung and something's been going on. They might be hanging out for a phone call from a brother or a sister in Christ. And then when you're on the phone to them and you're chatting and you're listening to them, do a lot of listening, then ask them, hey, is there something I can pray for? And they might give you something you can pray for. So you can do it right there on the phone. Or if that's not appropriate or if they don't want that, just say, hey, I'm going to be praying for you during the week about that. And then start to form a relationship with them. It's amazing when you actually speak to somebody how the relationship between brother and sister or brother and brother or sister and sister really tightens up big time. It's fantastic the way that he does that. What about um, somebody you could invite for a meal? Some of you might have been thinking, oh, I'm going to do that for a while. Has God got somebody he could have at your house uh, to have a meal? Uh, who, could, who could you pick up and bring to church or even be a volunteer on the, the driving roster when it's, uh, when it's needed? Again, not, yeah, I could do that, I'll probably do that. No, 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 with the attitude of Christ, with the humility of Christ. That's the way we want to serve, to really honour him in the way that we serve. Uh, who, who could you invite to take to one of the ladies' nights or the coffee mornings or the, or the Wednesday breakfast for the, for the guys who can't make it by himself or who'd really enjoy the company or who really enjoy actually being invited to come to that? Can really lift a brother or a sister in these situations? Or what ministry could you support either in a servant role, sort of like Epaphrodites and Timothy were doing to Paul, or to actually become part of the team? Maybe it's time. Maybe God's been speaking to you a while and you've been ignoring me on that because it sounds too scary. Of course it is. Of course it's scary. It's meant to be scary. It's not meant to be easy. To serve him can be quite difficult. Maybe come and join one of the playgroup teams where you can befriend, I love this, where you can befriend the mums and support them, get to know them, get to know their families well. There's some incredible opportunities to share Jesus with these uh, ladies and sometimes the guys too and I've already had opportunity myself and I know others have too. It's a tremendous thing. What about serving our missionaries? That's a ripper. Send them something, get on Skype with them, write a letter to them or find out from the missionaries team how you can be involved in that, that sort of stuff. Uh, be a kids' church helper and serve those who are teaching tomorrow's teachers or get in there and have a shot at it yourself if that's what God is showing you. Support any of the ministry teams, including the pastors and elders. We need support too, I can tell you. Uh, ask them what you can pray for and what you can practically do to help them. I, when people ring me and say, hey, I've been praying for you about whatever, I'm overcome with that. It's a wonderful thing to know that the body of Christ is serving each other, looking after each other, caring uh, for each other. Christmas in the backyard's coming up. Something practical or even wandering amongst the community and speaking to them, serving them, finding out about them as well. Getting involved in the dining room. Do some work around the property. You could see Michael Bangay and if you've got a hammer and nails, he'd be a happy man, I can, I can tell you. Or even pick on one of the sections of the garden and say, that's mine, I'm looking after that. That's going to be my garden and I'm going to you know, serve God by working that garden. Visit sick or lonely, um, both inside or outside the fellowship and if you want to do that, see me and I'll give you three years' work because there's plenty of that uh, to do and it's a joy uh, to do that 
as well when we do it with the attitude that God wants us. There is no shortage. Uh, There's no shortage of areas of service. It's matching up your gifts that God's given you. So what does, you know, for example, what does surfing look like to a mum, a student, a tradie, uh, somebody who's single, married, teenager, school, uh, uni? What does it uh, look like for any of us? And in our time this morning, if God's prompting you with something, will you follow up on that? Will you even come and tell us about that so we can support you in prayer and get you out there, deploy you into service? It's an exciting thing. It's an exciting thing to serve God and for the purposes of uh, verses 1 to 5. Let me finish with some good news. This is really, really good news. Undeserved, but it is good news. The great news for us is clearly given in Scripture for those who serve with the heart of Jesus, that there are rewards. It's all right to say that. There are actually rewards for this. We are not to serve in a boastful or prideful way. Pay attention here. We are not to serve in a boastful or prideful way or with an attitude of doing good works for the sake of doing good works or for wrong motives when we're doing things to to get praise from others because the reality is anybody who serves in that way have already got their praise from people. God loves the one who is just doing the quiet thing. You can see the boastful person over here and it's not honouring to him but he sees the one over here and nobody's seeing it and he goes, I see you. I see what you're doing. I love that you're serving me. I love that you're serving me because you love me. What a great thing that is, that there is actually rewards for uh, these things. The attitude we need to have when we serve is the same attitude of Christ that we read verses 1 to 5. I told you I was going to keep saying them because it's going to make you go back to them and read them over and over again. What happens to those who follow Jesus' example in verses 5 to 11? Well, the word of God is very clear. Listen to this, Matthew 23:11. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts, him, uh, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In whose eyes is it important? It's important in God's eyes. James 4.10, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Not all God's rewards are going to be uh, experienced in this life. Uh, I think many are for uh, the life to come. And it's a reminder that we should constantly be living our lives for Jesus with heaven in mind and not here. This is not our home. I remind you, this is not our home. It's a good place to come and meet and to worship him and to serve him, but this is not our home. When we fully grasp what Jesus has done in such a humble way, remembering that nobody humbled him, he humbled himself, how can we respond any other way but to serve him with all our hearts? Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, um, even though you were rich, For our sake you became poor and we're thankful for that. You humbled yourself to become a servant for our sake and then saved us from our sin through your death and your resurrection. Lord God, would you help us to respond through the work of your Holy Spirit to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ as well as those who do not know you yet with the attitude and love and humility that you served us with. Lord God, would you move among your people here at Canterbury Gardens? Would you wake us up, Lord God? Would you show us so clearly what it is that you would have us uh, to do and where you would want us to serve you and then to do it joyfully, humbly and obediently because of what you have done for us. Lord God, we give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.